The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the second Doctor story, The Wheel in Space. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hey, Father Cory. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt or phone case or mug or more by visiting our merch site at sqpn.com slash merch. Uh, you want to stick around to the end of the episode? We have some more of your fantastic listener feedback. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network, sure to enjoy, featuring the three of us, called The Secrets of Star Trek. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek. So this time we're talking about the wheel in space. So, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this episode? This time, the the second Doctor and Jamie land inside a rocket with no crew in the late 21st century. Nobody knows it at the time, but the robots on the rocket have been programmed to help the Cybermen take over a space station. Once they get to the space station, the Doctor and Jamie meet Zoe Harriet, a young 21st century scientist who will be the new companion. Soon, the Cybermen's plan uh, for the station begins to unfold. They initially use Cybermats to conduct sabotage of the station's meteorite defense laser. They also cause a star to go nova, sending a deadly shower of meteorites towards the station. Knowing that this would prompt the humans to search the rocket for the elements needed to repair the laser. This allows them to hypnotize humans and get the Cybermen aboard the station, which they plan on using to project a signal beam for cyber ships to home in on and invade Earth. After they caused uh, tremendous damage on the station, the Doctor leads the humans in defeating the Cybermen. The cyber ship is destroyed with the station's uh, laser, and the remaining Cybermen are thrown off into space. Afterwards, Zoe sneaks aboard the TARDIS and demands to be taken with the Doctor and Jamie on their adventures. The End. So what happened um, with this story is it's one of those mostly missing episodes where we've only got two of the six that are available in full video. And BritBox, where I watched it, has Mm -hmm. the other ones are all telesnap versions where we have still photos uh, over the audio. So with some yes. linking narration on the screen, which is very what's helpful. Ha- what's yeah. happened? Vi- what's happening visually? Yeah, and I, I think they did. A, I, they did a really good job, and I, I, it seemed to me that there were um, telesnaps, quote unquote, that were actually more like photoshopped scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, where you could tell not just like the doors opening and closing and things like that, but you know, where they took you know characters and put them in different positions to show what was going on on screen. So I, I think they did a really good job of keeping the telesnaps moving. Cause sometimes these, these telesnaps, they're, they're not as many uh, pictures available that, you know, so that the, it doesn't move as quickly, but this seemed like they did a good job of, of keeping kind of this, the snaps moving so that it wasn't static for very long. Yeah, they did do uh, some, editing of the telesnaps in order to convey a better visual sense of what was happening. Although they also reused, I noticed, a lot mm-hmm. of telesnaps. Like, there's a shot of Zoe's face that gets used regularly when she's yep. talking. Oh, yeah. Right. Speaking of Zoe, uh, it, it's my understanding, I guess, she's the last of the second Doctor mm-hmm. to Companions to arrive. You know, when, yeah. At the end of his term, it will be Jamie and Zoe with the Doctor. Correct. Yeah, they're both there through the war games. This is also the fourth appearance of the Cybermen on the show. The, you know, the Daleks had been the breakout characters. And for a while in early who there was an attempt because Terry nation had the rights to the Daleks. He was their creator and he had other ambitions for them. He wanted to, he actually tried to develop an American television show just based Mm. on the Daleks, you know, no doctor Mm. who, this is the Daleks show. Huh? 
And he was, while he was working on that, he was hesitant to do too much with the Daleks on Doctor Who. And so there was this search to find, well, who can we have in place of the Daleks? And they tried out various possibilities. Most of them were one-shots that didn't appear again. Most of them were in the second Doctor's time. Um, but the Cybermen ended up being the sort of secondary Dalek characters. They had appeared at the very end of the first Doctor's time in the Tenth Planet. That was their first appearance. But then they appeared four times during the era of the second Doctor, and this is the third of those. We've already talked about the Moon Base mm-hmm. with uh, Jamie and Polly and 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 uh, Ben. Um, then we did Tomb of the Cybermen with Jamie and Victoria. And now we're up to the wheel in space with uh, Jamie and Zoe. And Jamie and Zoe will be back for the fourth and final appearance of the Cybermen, The Invasion, which also introduces not only a lot of iconic Cybermen imagery, like marching in front of St. Paul's, but also it introduces Unit and the Brigadier. Mm-hmm. Does Is cyber conversion a thing that only started with New Who? Does, did that... Or that oh, no, 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 no. It's it's implicit in the 10th planet. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it also is there in Tomb of the Cybermen, where they're oh, like, you you will yeah. become like us, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Because that wasn't an aspect of this story. They weren't, they weren't converting. They were hypnotizing, taking control mm-hmm. of people, but they weren't converting people. And so you kind of don't have the same body horror idea right. of being turned into a Cyberman. Yeah. It really uh, wasn't yeah, until they're... New Who that you actually see a conversion you right. know because of course then they you know knew who they get the 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 blades and everything the lasers yeah. and everything cutting the them graphic apart and you, stuff yeah yeah they also you'll notice don't have a vulnerability to gold in this episode that's something from the fourth doctor's time right right I just quick set that. plastic <laughs> <laughs> yes which that's like uh, that spray foam you can use on it for insulation yep. i thought that was funny but uh so we start by leaving behind Victoria. So we kind of are picking up from where we left last time, where they left Victoria in the late 1960s in Fury from the Deep. And Jamie's not happy about it. Neither is the Doctor. And again, we talk about this all the time with the second Doctor, but he's still at this stage less the I'm confident, I know more than you, I am, you know, the the Time Lord about town sort of guy in charge. I mean, he's mm-hmm. still in charge, but there's much more of an equal footing with him and Jamie, especially on an emotional basis. Yeah, this doctor is Columbo. He yeah. is he's humble and he's he's and that's partly an act. He's doing that in order to get people to underestimate him. But it's also uh just part of who he is. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't have to get his companions to underestimate him. He's just he's just just a humbler guy. This is part of what they were trying to do with Jodie Whittaker, only here it works, and Mm -hmm. with Jodie Whittaker, it fails. Right. I mean, you kind of get this with the uh, Seventh Doctor and a little bit with the Fifth Doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the TARDIS is damaged as it lands, um, and something was trying to tempt them out of the TARDIS. We have, you know, the Doctor talks about that, but we don't develop that idea. Well, it it's so ever since the very first episode at Unearthly Child, there have been hints that the TARDIS is alive. Mm-hmm. And we saw in the first Doctor's time, the TARDIS could show, like in the second story in The Edge of Destruction, mm-hmm. the TARDIS shows them images. It doesn't have a holographic interface at this point, so it shows them images to try to communicate with them. And it does that again at the beginning of this episode, where when they land on the rocket, the TARDIS senses danger. And so is it so it shows them on the scanner pictures of more pleasant places that they could be. And the doctor reasons it's trying to tempt us to go to these other places so we won't encounter the danger here. Right. Oh, OK. OK. I thought I was trying to the idea was tempt them out to go to leave the TARDIS, but it, it was no. more tempt them to go somewhere else. Yeah. And then the TARDIS is damaged and starts releasing mercury vapor into the control room. And yeah. The they fluid to... link is gone again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that darn fluid link. And he has he he grabs the time vector generator, which is basically this little rod, before running out. And that means that the the TARDIS is no longer larger on the inside. It's now yeah. a normal police box. How about that? 
Why? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't understand what, the, what, why he was doing that. Did you catch that? Well, it's for some obscure techno babble reason. Okay. The, um, mm. the on the, the behind the scenes reason is just to motivate Jamie and Zoe, uh, Jamie and the Doctor to get out of the TARDIS. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and the rod is going to be important as a sort of MacGuffin throughout the the episode, yeah. throughout the story. So um, he, they need him to take it with him for whatever reason. But it means that the TARDIS isn't going to go anywhere. Nobody's going to be able to hijack it or whatever, which no one ever really does, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so they're on a, a rocket ship. I love I'm doing the air quotes for the watching the video, a rocket ship, because at, at this <laughs> era, this is what spaceships were. They were rocket ships. Um, yep. And a lot of the space related stuff is, well, it's not all that realistic. Like, you know, yeah, sun's going supernova here and there and. Do do not cause meteorites to fall towards your station. <laughs> yeah, no. and if a sun goes supernova close enough to cause meteorites to to approach your station within a few hours, this, meteorites are not your big problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, they they don't deal with. I mean, the real threat from a sun going nova is radiation, and will it right. will it end Earth? Um, and there have been apparently points in history where star where radiation from novas did uh, mm-hmm. cause mass extinctions on Earth. Ooh, you know, we have we have some evidence that's the case. Fortunately, good news: none of the stars nearby appear to be ready to go nova, and the ones mm-hmm. that do appear to be ready to go nova are far enough away from us that it wouldn't wouldn't cause us too but too much of a problem here on Earth. But in this episode, they ignore the distance and, you know, because this sun actually would have gone off years and years ago mm-hmm. um, and maybe thousands of years ago. And the Cybermen did it. You know, they they indicate the Cybermen did it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're ignoring the distance. And they're also somehow this is causing a meteor storm in, um, in, in our solar, our solar system. system. Yeah. 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 By the way, I do want to, despite the unrealism, I want to com- comment on the Cybermen mm-hmm. in this episode because they, so they have a new design, a slightly new design. They, they're they no longer the best version of the Cybermen, which to my mind is the Mondasian version where they're just, they have body stockings over their bodies. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, here they do have the armor and so forth. It's not as bad as in New Who where the armor looks just they look like robots mm-hmm. um they do look like robots here but it's, they're not as intimidating as right. robots which i think is good but they do come across as very cold and slow moving and analytical and creepy and that's accentuated by the lack of a soundtrack frequently when mm. the cybermen are doing things i notice that there's there's often not music playing when the Cybermen are up to no good, you're just watching the Cybermen do stuff and there are no su- sound effects. There's no music. And that silence mm-hmm. makes them creepier. One of the things that has always been an issue for me in this period with the, with the Cybermen is the temptation to modulate the voice through a synthesizer. Now the Cybermen themselves were fine. The cyber controller had this real strong synthesizer Hard to yeah. understand, even to the point where the voice actor had to over enunciate like Eliza, you know, just yeah. really overdo it in order to even be basically understood. And that's one of the things I mean, it was common in this era for this is how they did voice, you know, changing and that sort of thing. But it was re- it's really hard to understand at points. The cyber controller, I had to follow along in the transcript that's available online uh, in order to catch some of the dialogue, frankly. But. Well, BBC sound has never been great. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I watch BBC shows with mm. subtitles turned on for that reason. Even and, modern ones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't well, matter how much you turn up the sound, the sound is still muddy. Yeah. And, of course, this is them using what was then latest technology, you know, that, that voice modulation that does the, the pitch bending and everything was all right. really new technology. And synthesizers, you know, really not even synth, they weren't even really synthesizers as we understand them, like the Moog synthesizers and things like that. Right, right. Were very, very new technology. So, of course, they got their hands of them, on them and had to play with them. And, of course, yeah. that, that goes even into the 80s. I was just thinking of, you're talking about background music, Earthshock, the, the Adric dies because of the Cybermen episode, and the background music, boom, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's a synthesized, you know, right. 
and that that just and it just comes off bad. So I, I agree with you though. This this you know there's so there's there really isn't a lot of background music in this. Yeah. One thing, since you mentioned, so in it's not it's never named on screen. You could call it the cyber controller. In the background literature, they call it the cyber planner. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's an it appears to be an AI. It it looks like a machine. Um, it doesn't have a human form. They talk to it over a screen, and so they're being remotely directed by this cyber planner thing. We have sort of had cyber controllers before, meaning a cyberman on the scene who's in charge. Right. We had that, for example, in the tomb of the Cybermen. There was like one cyberman who was in charge, and he had a big kind of brain that was sort of visible through a casing. Um, but here they're talking to this AI and it's the first appearance of this kind of thing. And it sort of foreshadows something from the latest appearances Mm -hmm. of the Cyberman in the 13th Doctor's time where they have this AI called the Siberium Mm -hmm. that is controlling the Cyberman collective. And it's depicted visually differently. It looks like a kind of shifting cloud of mercury that Mm -hmm. changes shape in the 13th Doctor's time. But this is basically like the Siberium that they're talking to. It's visually different, but it's it appears to just be an AI that's giving them orders. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's another robot on the rocket ship, by the way, mm-hmm. that's called Servo Robot Robot in mm-hmm. the uh in the trans in the script and that sort of thing. And I thought it was gonna be an important piece, but it's really just seems to be like a maintenance droid on the rocket mm-hmm. ship. I don't like it it's was R two D two, and it was like sealing off parts of the ship for unknown reasons. It was just kind of an odd thing, you know, sort of. I don't know, plot advancing device. It was kind of weird. It, it, it basically acted kind of like a defender of the ship, and you know, remote control or, or uh, autopilot uh, type of system type of deal. Yeah, it was. It was just basically the the opponent that the the doctor and Jamie have to face until they got to the wheel and had to fa- start facing the Cybermen. Right, and it, it turns out it was reprogrammed by the Cybermen. We, you know, they tell us. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah, yep. yeah. When they finally get to the station, it's interesting. They never call it a space station. I, I, I don't know. I guess the nomenclature wasn't of space stations hadn't filtered fully down into popular consciousness to where that was the natural thing to call them. Mm-hmm. They always, always refer to it as a wheel, mm-hmm. right? And they even. Instead of referring to it as a station, they refer to it in dialogue as a space wheel. We're on a space mm-hmm. wheel. Yeah, yep. and this is around the same time as 2001 A Space Odyssey, isn't it? This, was, this is in 1968. Yeah. In 2001, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think that was the expectation is in the future, space stations would be these rotating wheels in space. I think this was contemporary which, idea. Which which is they probably will be in the future because it makes it easier to generate rotational gravity. Yes. Right. And uh other other elements of the the sort of future, you know, what do they call it um paleofuturism like the past mm-hmm. looking at the future is the food. There's at one point the Jamie and Doctor uh Jamie's hungry and he wants a nice roast beef dinner and so the doctor goes on board the rocket ship and gets a bunch of like pills and cubes and things, which was very much what Star Trek did at the time. And oh, yeah. people of this era had this idea that in the future, food as we know it would be obsolete and all food would come in pill form or it'd be much more well, efficient. That's because vitamins were a big thing at the time. You yeah. were, you, the people thought, oh, this is the first stage of that. We're taking our vitamins. Yeah. Like the idea that we would do away with eating regular food. I think that was, I mean, even in the 20s and 30s, people were starting to think about this idea of we, we wouldn't make regular food. And that's when we had convenience foods, frozen, you know, mm-hmm. bird's eye mm-hmm. frozen foods and TV dinners and that sort of stuff. So it's just, I kind of love looking at this era and how it looked at the future. It's one of the reasons I like watching this classic stuff. It, it's, it's, it's often interesting to see what visions of the future in science fiction get wrong mm-hmm. because we're biologically programmed to want to eat food, not pills. Mm-hmm. We, right. can, we can take pills, but, but there are pleasures, as the fifth doctor points out, to eating a well-prepared meal. And that's built into us on a biological level, mm-hmm. as well as every other animal on Earth. We're all programmed to enjoy eating. And so if you watch these old movies and TV shows, like, say, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, 
when people from our time encounter space food and its pills, they all go, ooh. And I'm going, yes, you're right. That's exactly the reaction people will have. That's why that will never take off. Right, right. Because if we won't enjoy it. It's it it so that they get wrong. It's kind of like I noticed reading a lot of uh, fin de siècle science fiction. You know, stuff from around the turn of the twentieth century. They they all envision the future as have, or a lot of them envision the future as having suicide booths that mm. you can just walk up to and commit suicide on the street. And it's like, ah, <laughs> uh, that's not actually going to happen. I hope not. Uh, no. <laughs> so it yeah. It is interesting, though, uh, you know, now that we're getting to the point where we're actually having artificially made meats, you know, like they're talking about how they can basically grow chicken breast, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the lab artificially, yeah. you know, lab grown. And so there's some of these things in the future, they're not getting so far off that the, the cubes are a possibility. You know, you could have artificially yeah. grown chicken breast cubes, <laughs> I guess. Yum. Well, we'll have artificial, we'll continue to have artificial replacement foods like artificial yeah. meat, lab oh, yeah. meat. But, but no, um, you, won't, you won't eat a pill that, that tastes <laughs> like roast beef. Right. It's, it, we're going to have the tact- tactile experience of eating the meat. Actually, yeah. actually I, want the, I want the Willy Wonka meal and a stick of gum. <laughs> yeah. the roast beef gum and stopper. potatoes. And gr- yeah. No, it was, oh, it was there were a, several. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a, a gum like a piece of gum where it yeah. tastes like a full meal. So that's what I want. <laughs> so the uh, so we, we have this wheel in space. It's a space station. They call the ship that the Doctor and Jamie are on uh, the Silver Carrier. And it's like well off course. It's nine weeks overdue from where it was supposed to be. And it turns out it is, it's not like they, they assume it went adrift. But Zoe later on will, you know, make the case that it's impossible for it to have drifted, that it had to have been under control and brought to this location. And refueled. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It also, even though they constantly call it a rocket, and yeah, it does have a rocket motor, it doesn't look like what you'd think of as a rocket. Yeah. You know, we think of you have Saturn V rockets and things like that, and they're all big, tall, cylindrical things. And this is not. This looks more like a space shuttle. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. it has it has wings and it's clearly atmospherically it's designed for atmospheric flight. Mm-hmm. Right. And the the server robot as this ship approaches the the station releases a bunch of glowy balls out to this airlock mm-hmm. that approach the station and end up passing through the skin of it and I kind of like the idea that the people in the space station aren't all knowing. They mm-hmm. they kind of have like something's going on, something strange, but they don't have like like Star Trek sensors where we know every single thing happening on, in, in the space around us that we've detected. Uh, yeah, they're they're detecting little things like magnetic anomalies as these as these little spheres go through and shifts in like vibrations and s- sudden momentary slight loss of air pressure that then is corrected by the system. And so those are the those are the little the little spheres puncturing the hull of the space station, and they um they the reason they're being sent is they contain cyber mats, mm-hmm. so that's right. how they're getting the cyber mats on board the station. Yes, and meanwhile on the station, I I like the this crew of this space station. It's interesting. It's an international crew. We have British. We have um, uh, I think Spanish, Russian, French, Irish. Uh, I, yes, yeah. Irish Flanagan. Uh, who is fun. I like Flanagan. Uh, so we have a whole international crew. And the commander, it's very interesting. And throughout the second Doctor's time, we keep having these leaders that, the, that he encounters mm. who are tyrannical, authoritarian, or they're just obstinate and arrogant. And it's an interesting theme throughout the second Doctor. And it, it happens in other Doctors too. But I noticed it, especially with the second Doctor, this this continuing theme of, I mean, just we just had Fury from the Deep, where we had the same sort of thing, the oh. leader who kind of goes insane, but mm-hmm. is arrogant in the midst of it. If you have a base under siege, you want it to have a crazy, ineffective leader. So there can be problems for the doctor to solve and someone for him to butt heads with. Right. In this case, the guy's name is Jarvis Bennett, mm-hmm. and he is, he's not an evil guy. He's, he's very officious. Um, he's, he's very do what I say and, um, and by the book, you know, he's, he's, so he's resistant to thinking 
outside of the book, which is required by this kind of situation, because Cybermen attacking you is not in the book. Yep. And, right. and so he, he's, he, he, you know, there are scenes where he's just ridiculously stubborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does end up going crazy. At, at first, it had been a long time since I had seen this. Um, I, you know, I watched it in the past, but I haven't watched it recently. And I was like, is he under cyber control? Is that why he's starting to act crazy? Because they make a point of showing you not, I mean, he was, he was stubborn early. Mm-hmm. But then he just starts going crazy, and and they emphasize it um, by his actions. They don't just tell you he's crazy; they show you he's crazy because mm-hmm. he's walking around and he's suddenly acting happy and talking to himself, but in a way that it's ambiguous. Is he talking to people or to the crew around him, or is is he talking to fantasy people? It's like who exactly is he talking to here? And he has, you know, an illogical train of thought as he's doing that. And then they start having other people like Gemma, the lady scientist who's the station's doctor and psychiatrist. You know, she she notices he's he's out of it. And other people, you know, they start to talk about how he's withdrawing into like a fantasy world or something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if they're setting us up for he he's going to be under... Uh, cyber control or not, but they weren't. He's just going crazy, yeah. and and eventually he um he's he, he decides to just leave, and he's he's not he's kind of resigned his duties. He just decides he's going to leave. He runs into a cyberman and he attacks the cyberman and cyberman and is promptly killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned Gemma. So she's a doctor, psychiatrist, second in command. She mm-hmm. is super capable. Yeah, right? she's great. Yeah, I really, yeah. I really liked her. I mean, there isn't, there's a bit of 60s era men, f- male, female interaction that's going on, but especially between two of the members of the, uh, the, the bridge yeah. crew, um, which is kind of funny to watch. Yeah, there's a British guy and a Russian woman named Tanya, and he's kind of got the hots for her. He's hitting on her the whole time. There's, well, there's, there's kind of mutual flirting going on there. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. it's mutual. Yeah, it's it's so it's it's kind of fun, funny to watch. Uh, but Gemma is very much in command, and uh, she is businesslike. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and like so when she's interviewing Jamie, you know, giving him a medical exam, the doctor gets, by the way, got knocked out on board the the rocket ship and so he's so, unconscious so, so patrick trouton could have a week off yep <laughs> right and so they he's uh you know unconscious on board the station so it's jamie who's having to talk to them um he didn't get a, off on a good start with them because he used the time vector generator to signal the station from the rocket ship to let them know someone was on board because they were about <laughs> to destroy it they were afraid it would crash mm-hmm. into them and when he'd signaled them he didn't realize but the time vector generator was causing all kinds of problems like hurting people uh with yeah. noise and stuff so that's kind of uh funny like it was almost like an attack so yeah. he's trying to m- manage things without the doctor as this 18th century scotsman in the 21st century yeah they do a nice job with jamie i mean he's trying stuff to figure out what works uh mm-hmm. to, to solve problems especially in the first two episodes because the doctor's been hit on the head when the that happened when the robot on the rocket turned its engine on and so it suddenly lurches and the doctor gets hit on the head and so the doctor is largely out of it for the first two episodes he's mm. you know and Jamie is the one who's everything falls on Jamie he's got to solve all the problems they they're going to blow up the rocket ship with the x-ray laser because they think it's a piece of space of dangerous space junk and but he knows the TARDIS is over there Mm-hmm. So he can't, he, 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 it's up to Jamie to figure out how to stop this from happening. And so he's trying stuff, including, you know, it was him who used the, the TARDIS control yep. device to signal the station, even though it bizarrely injured people through their headphones. <laughs> um, I've seen headphone warnings on YouTube videos, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they also do play on, he's, he's from the, from the 1800 or the 1700s. Um, he doesn't understand a lot of what he's working with. There's one great scene where 
Zoe is dictating a scientific report and Jamie doesn't understand who she's talking to. <laughs> right. And so he's like, hey, who are you talking to? Hey, who are you talking to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's he's ruining her recording because yeah. he doesn't know what a recording is. Right. <laughs> and, and by the way, as part of this, this is where we get Dr. John Smith. That's right. Because yeah. he sees a, a machine that's got John Smith and Associates and he's going, Dr. John Smith. Right, doctor, the first time when, we hear that, Doctor Gemma, he's, yeah, when he's identifying yep. the doctor to to, to Doctor Gemma, she's like, "So who is who is this man, uh, Doctor John Smith?" Well, and like yeah. later when he's he's there talking to the doctor, and he's so so your name's John Smith, right? Yeah, isn't that right, John? John, <laughs> you know, he's like, "Hey, Doctor, wake up! Your name is John now." <laughs> yeah, yes. The the doctor had previously used other. Um, other pseudonyms. He was Dr. Von Ver, which is German for Doctor Who. Right. <laughs> um, uh, like in back in the Highlanders. Mm -hmm. That's right. So um, Gemma, you know, wants uh, uh, Jamie, sorry, Gemma, Jamie, to get a tour of the station. And so he tells her to go to the parapsychology library to ask yeah. Zoe to give him a tour. Cool. So Zoe's, even though she's an astrophysicist and a naturometricist, she's working in the parapsychology library. I love that they have a parapsychology library. <laughs> Apparently, parapsychology has advanced in the estimation. I mean, it's currently a member of the uh, of the, the Parapsychological Association is actually a member of the major American scientific association. Um, but you, it still gets a lot of shade from mainstream scientists and, uh, you, and so apparently parapsychology has made progress as a field in its <laughs> reputation mm -hmm. in the next, this is like supposed to be set around 2079. So in the next, uh, in the next 50 years or so. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll let the folks at the Rhine know that things, <laughs> yeah. things are looking up. But it it still hasn't achieved full recognition because they make a point of telling us that Controller Jarvis does not, which, by the way, is his first name. They ought to call him Controller Bennett. Yeah. Which is his last name. But they it's like it's like Commander Andy. You know, <laughs> they're, they're always talking about Commander Jarvis. And he they make a point of telling us he does not believe in ESP. Uh, I thought you'd get a kick out of it, though. That was, that I was did. fun to see. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, well, and then when Jamie shows up, Zoe's first reaction to Jamie is to laugh at him because he's wearing girl clothes. He's a Scotsman. Yeah. He's wearing a kilt. So <laughs> I thought that was good. His his clothing is is very out of date for at least uh, the 2080s or 2070s. So, yeah, that, that, was, that was good. And so Zoe, at, at least at this point, is a, kind of a savant, right? She's... Mm -hmm. She doesn't have she she doesn't have normal emotional reaction. We would say she's on the spectrum maybe today. Um, she doesn't have normal emotional reactions to things. She's very calm and deliberate. She's, she's it's a little different than autism though. She comes across. Uh, I mean, you know, people who 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 are autistic they can come across as a little unemotional, right? And mm -hmm. it's not that Zoe's unemotional. She's always pleasant. She's very pleasant. She's very friendly. She always mm -hmm. sounds happy, and yet things don't bug her. Right, right. and so, um, so, and and they make a thing out of this. This is part of this is going to play into her uh, becoming a companion because they stress that other people on the station are quite emotional. You know, mm -hmm. like the the guy and the girl that are flirting with each other. I mean, they're obviously emotional. Commander Jarvis, he's a shouty guy. He's obviously emotional. Mm. So we have these other, it's not that she's from an emotionless society. It's no, just she's emotional, unemotional. And, and they, they talk about how she was raised that way. Apparently she has some special kind of education program mm -hmm. that she's been part of that has trained her up to this super genius level to where that not everybody gets that um, she's trained to the point that they say they use Zoe. Jimma says they use Zoe for their second opinion when they've checked with the computer. So they'll <laughs> feed something into the computer. It'll give them an answer. And then they'll say, so Zoe, what do you think? 
Right. And, and so yeah. she's very highly educated in an unusual way, and she blames her education for her lack of emotional experience. And she's uh, uh, later in the series, she starts saying she wants to experience normal emotions. She also blames her education for only preparing her for how to deal with known emergencies, ones that are right. in the book. And and this is not in the book. And so she's having to engage in creative adaptive thinking that is not what she's been trained for. And she wants to, as as the series progresses, she becomes more alienated from the way she was trained. And that's what's motivating her to want to sneak on the TARDIS and become a companion. Right. Well, it's interesting you've got a contrast between Jarvis, who he's he wants things by the book. He wants things, you know, the if there's an emergency, it's an emergency, like you said, a known emergency that he knows how to handle. And he goes crazy because he's outside of that image. And then you've got Zoe, who's very similar, at least as far as wanting to stay, you know, by the book and known emergencies, but she's willing to stretch herself and try to figure these things out. It, you know, you see kind of that right. contrast between these two characters. She's got that flexible thinking. Mm-hmm. So uh, as oh, the... While, yeah. while we're talking about differences in Earth society at this point, they we never see one of them, but they allude to another difference in human society at this point, which is not everybody is convinced that this that stretching out into space is a good thing. There right. is apparently mm-hmm. a bunch of people who would like to cancel the space program, right. which really did kind of happen after we went to the moon for a good while. Mm-hmm. Mm. But apparently there are a lot of people who think this is this is a bad idea. We should be focusing on Earth. And at one point, because Jamie has sabotaged the X-ray laser, they think maybe he's part of this movement. And so, like, he's asked, you, you're not one of those pull-back-to-Earth types, are you? Mm-hmm. Well, and in fact, they've started to suspect Jamie and the Doctor before he does the sabotage because they're trying to figure out what's going on with this rocket. Why is it? Of course, and you know, a danger to the station, and they think that maybe Jamie and the Doctor are saboteurs, and then Jamie, mm-hmm. you know, trying to save the TARDIS from being because they're going to destroy this ship because it's a, still a, remains a danger to the station. Although I don't know why you need to go over and take control of it, but okay. Um, but they're going to shoot it with the laser, and so Jamie decides I've got to stop them, and so he sabotages the laser with what we were talking about before, like the quick set plastic spray. Uh, that mm-hmm. that he try he sprays on it, and that only confirms their suspicions that he's one of these saboteurs, which is unfortunate because it means then they then overlook and neglect the Cybermen threat that that they may have caught earlier if they right. weren't so focused on that. Well, it was it was funny because they were trying to figure out what was going on. You know, Jamie and the doctor were under you know house arrest, if you will. They're in the the hospital room under arrest, and. Jamie's going on like, oh, yes, you've had a saboteur. And then we show up and they use us as an excuse. It's like, no, that's not the logic they're going to have is all these problems happen because you showed up. Right. Mm. And you actually tried to sabotage a thing. And you did sabotage something, (laughs) not even tried. So um, meanwhile, it's it's weird that Jamie never explains why. I mean, he apologizes. He says, I had to do it. I didn't want to. I didn't, you know, I there. But then when they say, so I had to stop the ship, the rocket ship from being destroyed, it's like, okay, why? And he, I can't tell you. Right. And it's like, Jamie, I don't think the TARDIS is that big a secret. Even if you don't, well, even if you don't want to tell them what it is, you could say the doctor and the doctor has a really valuable piece of property over there. We need to get it back. Yeah. Right. Right. And he does, he does eventually say, well, the doctor told me to prevent that from happening. But that's it, right? That's the only thing. And that's when the doctor was unconscious. So, of course, it's like you're just going to have to wait till he wakes up to find out why you can't do it, which the doctor never does either. So, And really, the doctor didn't tell him destroy the laser or or protect the entire rocket ship. Jamie's stretching it there. And he he gets called out on it. The doctor says, great, you throw it in my lap to deal with. (laughs) Yeah. So, meanwhile, this engineer is tasked with repairing the laser. And while he's in the midst of this, idiotically sees this creature crawling around on his space station and says, oh, how cute. No, it's it's a creature that doesn't belong in a space station that looks like a rodent. That would be very bad. You do not want this on your station. He grows space plants, so why not space animals too? Yes, but not loose. 
Yeah. I, I try to, in thinking of this, I mean, we, we're starting to have robots like this in our environment now. I mean, we've had robots for a long time. We just don't think about them that way. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a fan mm-hmm. in your house, that's a robot. You know, a robot is a device that is meant to replace human labor. And back in the day, before air conditioning and before fans, you had a person yeah. with a f- big, huge fan in their hands, and they would fan you. And, I mean, assuming you're one of the super wealthy. Um, but that was originally a job that people mm. had. And so if you've got a fan, that's a robot. We just don't yeah. think of it as a robot. But now we have Roombas and little mm. robotic pets and companions. And when the Cybermat showed up and the guy working on the laser is friendly to it, I kind of assumed he's maybe he's like thinking this is a pet. This mm. is a little robotic pet of someone mm. else on the station or something. Maybe. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, that's possible. Uh, Because they're cute. Yeah. Ish. Mm -hmm. Ish. (laughs) (laughs) They have big eyes. So, and they end up eating up all of this material called bernalium, which is vital to the operation of the x-ray laser. Without it, they can't Mm -hmm. use it. And so the Cybermen plan is to have the Cybermats eat up their supply of bernalium so that the people will have to go from the station to the rocket ship to get more. Yes. And notice huge hole in the Cybermen's plan, they yeah. almost blew you up right at the beginning. <laughs> right. So. If it weren't for Jamie, you would that plan would have failed. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, commenting, well, even though we've mentioned the, some of the science they're getting wrong here, I want to compliment them because X-ray lasers are a real thing. Yes. X- X-ray lasers are a laser that operates in the X-ray part of the visible spectrum, which means, among other things, you can't see the laser beam. Right. Right because it's above the frequency of of um of human vision right but uh and they're they are very powerful so that's something that you would because of the high frequencies of the x-rays you know they're they're mm-hmm. very powerful i've seen i've i've read about like ways of powering them using hydrogen bombs mm-hmm. and stuff like that although we i i that's not conventionally done but but they do kick out tons of power, and so it would be reasonable for a space wheel to have an X-ray laser. <laughs> right, right. One, one thing, one thing. You know, talking about the the Cybermen's plan, the original plan, the Doctor figures out is that's the purpose of the Cybermats was to destroy that uh, the Bernalian. basically capacitor, yeah. that giant capacitor. Yep. And uh, Jamie beat him to it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, they would have done that too, including eating up the, the uh, fuel. They would have just incapacitated the. Uh, the X-ray. Capacitor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's around this point. Uh, oh, and, and so if you if they go to get the Bernalium, then the Cybermen plan to use their mind control to capture some of the, 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 the astronauts who come over and use them to take them back to the station. And that's what that's what ends up happening. Uh, the doctor figures out Cybermen are involved when so the engineer as he's being attacked, sprays the quickset plastic all over one of the Cybermats, and then the doctor x-rays it to see what's inside, and that's when he sees the Cybermat. So now he knows the Cybermen are involved. Yeah, and Jamie recognizes it too because he saw the Cybermats on uh, the moon base mm-hmm. in the right. previous story, which is where they were introduced. Right. Um, one thing, by the way, if you, at least according to the TARDIS wiki, um, this is set like nine years after the moon base. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's also set after the moon base in Doctor Who chronology. And, and I think it's reasonable to infer that that is the order of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But despite that, the people on the station don't know beans about Cybermen. Right. They're still and, new. Yeah. yeah, so there's like already been two Cyberman invasions of our solar system with the tenth planet and the moon base, and these guys still haven't I got I guess gotten the memo, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's still top secret. So one of the interesting things is we're told that the people on board this space station have training and also technology to prevent brainwashing, to prevent you know uh, ex- exter- external control of your thought processes. So that's apparently 
something that they've had to deal with or it's common enough that you would train everybody to be you know not susceptible to that so i thought that was interesting and there's apparently a circuit that activates when someone is under mind control uh and that they can um then see it on a you know on a scanner mm-hmm. or that sort of thing the doctor also says that the hip, the it's not i'll call it hypnosis even though that's not quite what it is that the cybermen are doing on the station workers is it's actually easy to block the doctor just says put a metal plate with a transistor on the back of the neck and it'll block <laughs> it'll block their control and so and he even describes that as crude but he indicates you can use crude methods to block their control yeah. which is yeah. kind of cool it's yep. it easier to throw a monkey wrench into something than is often suspected mm. so um one of the things we see is this spacewalking they do a lot of spacewalking back and forth between the ship and the and the station and it's always fun. I mean, it, with Jamie and, and Zoe and then the other two wheel astronauts, it's not too bad. When we see the Cybermen doing the spacewalking, it is hilarious because they're yeah. doing this arm wavy thing. You watch me on the video. Um, their arms are going up and down and they're kind of bouncing as they're spacewalking. I, I just, I mean, it's the it's the technology of the time that they could make this. But it, I just like had to, I laughed out loud when I saw them doing it because it was really fun. Um, yeah. So, and Jamie, and Doctor does make Jamie spacewalk over to the rocket. Poor Jamie, in the you know this in this 18th century Scotsman having to spacewalk um, <laughs> to retrieve the time vector generator, this rod, this you know control rod from the TARDIS, uh, along with Zoe. So it's sort of an important part of his plan. Yeah, he had put it in the Doctor's pocket, and then it fell out of the Doctor's pocket when they were moving him because he yep. was unconscious. And so he's got to go back over to the rocket to get the to get the control rod. And the doctor and and this is happening when the meteorites are getting close to the station and they're going to be blasting them with the laser. And people are going on, you know, they're juicing the drama of how dangerous it how dangerous it is for Jamie and Zoe to spacewalk over there. And um and they're yelling at the doctor about it and he 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 talks about how Zoe has calculated the risk. So I was like, well, of course Zoe has, <laughs> um, and and deemed it acceptable. But then he gets to use I keep I keep a little list in my notes function of hack dialogue mm-hmm. that I run into that you you used to hear all the time in these shows. Like you must believe me, you must, right. uh, as if that's going to convince anyone, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, nobody, I mean, who talks like that? It's right. like, I'm telling you the truth, and I'll give you some reasons why, if you'll listen to me. You know, yeah. you must believe me, you must. Um, well, he, he, the doctor also gets to use the classic line, it was a calculated risk. And it's like, <laughs> who, whoever talks like that? Whoever says something was a calculated risk? <laughs> and uh, meanwhile... So Gemma is the one who took them to the airlock. Uh, they don't call it airlock. I think they call it loading bay. Um, but she's the one who you know took them down, put them in their suits, sent them out. And while she's there, the Cybermen attack. And Gemma turns out to be the real hero of this. Yeah. Because she bravely gets the message to the doctor in the operations room, even as the Cybermen's bearing down on her and then kills her right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty shocking, actually. It It is, especially the fact she's a woman and they just shoot her dead. Yeah. And she's mm-hmm. laying there on the floor dead and the camera lingers lingers on her and so forth. And yep. it's, it is it is very effective, uh, her death. What she was doing was warning the control center. The Cybermen decided, now that we've got control of the station, we're going to kill everybody. And so they were going to put some cylinder. They had one of their human hypno slaves who was going to put some cylinders into the air supply that would turn it into pure um, ozone, mm-hmm. which is so ozone is O3 instead of O2. It's a mm-hmm. it's triox. It's got three oxygen atoms. And guess what? we don't breathe that really well. Yeah. So um so it'll 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 mess with your lungs and you'll die and that part is true. Um and so she's warning the control center of the Cybermen's plan to poison the air supply and you need to shift over to the alternative air system so it won't work. 
I also love how the air system is powered by lava lights. It's really yeah. cool. They have the coolest air system with those lava lights. <laughs> so around the same time that the cyber planner finally realizes someone on the inside knows who they are, and then they identify the doctor eventually as the enemy, um, that's when the doctor turns the tables on them. They think they're luring him out of the behind this sh- uh, force field, the shield around the operations center so they can get in. But he knows that the, the Irishman Flanagan is compromised. And mm-hmm. so he goes out and has them prepared to ambush uh, Flanagan when he comes in. And he's going to use the time vector generator the, from the TARDIS to power up the laser because that's been the big problem. The laser doesn't have any power. And I was thinking about this, like this time vector generator gets used for a lot of different things in this episode. And while the doctor does have a sonic screwdriver at this point, it's pretty rudimentary. It's literally Mm -hmm. used as a screwdriver most of the time. And, but the TVG, as I'll call it, would have been the sonic in later years. Like in later doctors, this would have been a sonic the whole time that, you know, use it. And I wonder if this device kind of became the root idea for mm-hmm. what would la- the Sonic would later become. It, it, it's an interesting idea. It does function a lot like the Sonic screwdriver later will. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it, you know, superpowers the laser so that they can at the last second destroy the asteroids as they're coming in. It's this, there's this tense scene. Oh, where, I know. They have this, they have this game of asteroids with the <laughs> meteorites. Yeah. <laughs> as Jamie and Zoe are, are spacewalking back, they're, they're getting these asteroids blasted before they can hit them. Like, I, I know, like, in modern times, we'd have the great graphics and we'd see this and we'd see a meteorite coming at them and they get blasted in time and it would be this wonderful CGI thing. But the drama is the same, which is mm-hmm. they're being rescued from getting smashed by these rocks. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting, and I only noticed this because... I'm aware of the fact that X-ray lasers are invisible, and so I wanted to see, are they going to show us a visible laser beam? Mm. In which case, I'll get to laugh at it on the next Secrets of Doctor (laughs) Who. And so I was watching for, are they going to show us this thing? And they, throughout the entire meteorite destruction sequence, they don't. They, They cut, they show us Jamie and Zoe. They show us the control guys controlling the beam. They show us images of the incoming meteorites, both in, in directly and on radar. And they never show us the laser beam shooting them. They're cutting around that, and it does not affect the drama of this. It was, I thought mm-hmm. it was a very effective sequence, despite the fact they never show us the beam shooting them. Which now saves late, money. <laughs> it, it saves money, and yeah. and and it worked. Um, later, when they shoot the Cyberman ship, they do show us the laser beam. It's visible, so ha ha. <laughs> mm. Right. So uh, after they've destroyed the the Cyberman and, and foiled their plan, the Doctor and Jamie are taking their leave. And as you mentioned, Zoe is curious, and she wants to go beyond. Like she's had sort of an existential crisis a little bit and wants no, to know li- about- no, literally she is this was yeah. an existential crisis yeah yeah i mean and she wants to find out more about who she is and see more of the of the universe and decides to stow away with the doctor which is an interesting difference uh we've had a few stowaways throughout the doctor's time mm-hmm. Averick. Um, yep and that didn't um, work out as well and yeah and so <laughs> i know and so uh, she might i think she's the first well no because steve in the first doctor's steve- time Yep, Steven, yep. he Steven's ends up, a stowaway. He's a stowaway as well. And the doctor is like, okay, come with, come with, you know, which is an interesting reaction on his part. Maybe because I think he did, you know, get an affinity for her. Um, and she's going, to, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Zoe and Jamie, but I feel like it, it, it'll create a good balance between yep. Jamie, the man from the past and Zoe, the woman from the future. Whereas Victoria and Jamie were both from the past. Right. The and and the balance with Jamie and Zoe is the best. It's the best companion pairing of the second Doctor's time. Yeah, and but he won't let her go until he lets her show her through a thought thought transmitter what she might be in for, and then we get this montage of various scenes from past uh, stories of 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 what the Doctor's done. Yeah, the Daleks Mm -hmm. mainly, um, which is interesting. 
So, um, so yeah, and so now we have new companion Zoe. So any that's where we end. Any final thoughts, Father Corey? I, I love Flanagan where before he gets whammied by the Cybermen is you know he's fighting the other two guys and goes I'm going to teach you the noble and manly art of fighting. <laughs> the noble he just says the noble and manly art. And yeah. of course he's well, talking about he's, fighting, he's, boxing, he's re- he, boxing. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's referring yeah. to, pugilism. <laughs> yeah. He holds his own. <laughs> and and it's it's interesting. I was talking with a friend once about about this, you know, because there are concerns morally about boxing. If you're smacking someone upside the head a lot, you know, it can cause issues. And that's been something that's been known about for a long time. And I was talking to a friend um, about uh, Catholic moralists and what they've said about this historically. Because boxing's been around for a long time, and Catholic moralists talked about things like dueling, you know, and how you couldn't morally duel with someone. In fact, it was forbidden to have a uh, a, a priest on hand to hear final confessions in a duel because they that's how down they were on dueling. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to facilitate it by letting a priest be there. Um, so you also had men hitting each other in the head forever, and... Um, and so Catholic moralists had looked at boxing and the prevailing opinion among older Catholic moralists, I gather, seems to be negative, except for those from Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So, so how would that extend to MMA then? <laughs> no kidding. A whole nother level. Um, it, at least what, at least what mixed martial arts has done though, is show us which martial arts actually work. And yeah. and which are just garbage. Yeah. Yep. Because put let them fight. Put the different martial arts against each other and see who regularly wins. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Anything else, Father Corey? Nope. Jimmy, any final thoughts? There's a great line in here where there Zoe's talking about the rocket ship and how it must have gotten here and it had to be refueled and stuff like that. And she's absolutely convinced of her point of view. And she tells the doctor that it's undeniable, it's it's just logic. And he says, logic, my dear Zoe, merely enables one to be wrong with authority. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I love them making that point because in 60s television, including over on Star Trek, airing at the same time, yep. logic is presented as the thing. It, logic is the bomb. It's it's gonna it's gonna mm. tell us all the answers. Infallible. Yeah, and I I love the and and I'm I'm trained in logic. I mean, I've taken classes mm-hmm. in symbolic logic and so forth. And it's like, guys, garbage in, garbage yeah. out. Your logic can <laughs> yeah. be perfect. You've got to have the right facts to start with. Yep. <laughs> and yep. like that's number one when you're doing symbolisms of logic is if you don't if your premises are wrong, your logic can be sound. Your your answer is still going to be wrong. Yeah. yeah. So I loved seeing the doctor point this out. Yeah, and there was a doctor on Star Trek as well pointing out the the flaws in logic. <laughs> yep. All, although I will say, in this case, Zoe was actually right. She was. Mm-hmm. She was. Awesome. So let's uh, move on to some listener feedback. We get some feedback on our recent episode, 307, on the ribos. Did I say it right? Ribos. Ribos. Ribos or ribos. <laughs> See, we talked about this before. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get it right, and I didn't. The as, ribos as, operation, as Americans, our our native pronunciation scheme would be to would be to say ribos, but yep. it's not. No one on the in the show says that. It's either ribos or ribos. So yeah. anyway, uh, we have some feedback on that, and the first feedback comes from Paul Leone via YouTube, who writes, uh, "This is one of my favorite classic Doctor arcs. Romana One is one of my favorite companions." And similarly, Jason there on YouTube also says, so glad you're finally getting into the Romanas. They're such fun characters. Yes, yes they are a lot of fun. Yeah. I, yeah. We, we talked about Romana too in a uh, fourth Doctor story. The, um, you talked about Shada. Shada, that's right. Uh, so that's my only exposure to the uh, Romanas so far, and that was good. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. So as we wrap things up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who, including Ted K, Bruce G, Megan S, Jerry G, and Kevin K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who in all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. 
And so that's it from us. What did you think of this second Doctor story, The Wheel in Space? You can let us know by commenting on the show uh, at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Send an email to Who at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And you can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who in full video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time. We're going to be discussing the Big Finish 10th Doctor and 12th Doctor story, Regeneration Impossible. Now, that next time will be at the beginning of February. We're taking a brief hiatus for a holiday. But uh, when we come back, that's what we'll be talking about. And until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, logic merely enables one to be wrong with authority. Hi, everyone. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to keep producing the shows you love and to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts are tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent and may you have a blessed Christmas season.